Welcome to another episode of Diving Deeper. And today we are looking at Joshua chapter 5. And um, whether you are at the gym, running or sat at home, whether you're listening or watching, I pray that in the next uh, 30 minutes that you and I can together go on a journey as we go deeper into um, the scriptures. So we're going to read Joshua chapter 5. And so if you've got a Bible, great. If not, just listen as we read together. Verse 1, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. I'm going to stop there a second. What we see in these first few verses is that the courage of the enemy melted away the strength of the enemy their heart wilted they were discouraged what discouraged them what discouraged them was not a mighty act that the israelites performed it wasn't the strength of the Israelite army that melted the hearts of the Canaanites. It wasn't the incredible performance that the Israelite people had uh, undertaken. It wasn't the, um, uh, the, the weapons of war or the incredible number of the Israelite people that melted the heart of the Canaanite people. It was the fact that the Canaanite people saw that God was with the Israelite people and that God had done what only he can do. He'd done a miracle. He'd parted the waves of the Red Sea initially and now he'd parted the waves of the River Jordan. If we are going to enter into all that God has for us, if we're going to see the enemy defeated in our life, then rather than us trying to um, see the enemy wilt in fear through our performance or through us uh, thinking how great we are and if only we can puff ourselves up and if only we can show how great we are, then the enemy will melt in fear. The only way we can see the enemy Uh, break down and uh, be trembling in fear the only way that we can change the resolve of the enemies in our life is when we recognize who is with us God Almighty and it's not just who is with us but it's the fact of knowing that God who is with us is a God of miracles. 
God is with us and he is a God of miracles. And when we lean into who is with us, when we trust in what he is capable of, then we will find that the enemies in our life will begin to melt in fear. The enemies in our life are not people. The enemies in our life are not people. The enemies in our life is whatever the enemy has tried to place in your life. Whatever the enemy has tried to surround you with. It could be fear. It could be lies. It could be anxiety. It could be uh, it could be temptation. It could be all. Uh, it could be a number of things. But whatever the enemy has tried to place between you and the promised land between you and life and a life of fruitfulness. We need to realise that um, it's possible to see the enemy melt in fear and tremble when we rely only and trust in God who is with us, knowing that he is a miracle working God. Um, so verse 2 says, this of Joshua 5. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after that, the, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they had been healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Um, in last in the last episode of this podcast, we talked about Gilgal, so you can go back and listen to that. And we talked about the um, importance of the place Gilgal in the uh, story of the Israelite people. We talked about how Gilgal was a place of rest how Joshua would go from Gilgal with the Israelite people and they would conquer cities like Jericho and then they would come back to Gilgal and rest. We talked about how over the years Gilgal was used as a place of sacrifice and worship, a place where the first Passover meal was celebrated by the Israelite people. Gilgal was used as a place where kings were crowned uh, like Saul and it was also a place where um, David, after defeating Absalom, uh, was um, again uh, crowned as the king of Israel on um, his way back 
to Jerusalem. We know that Gilgal was the place where the prophet Elijah went up to heaven as Elisha watched. It was a place of the prophetic. It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where kings were crowned. Gilgal is an important place in the story of the people of Israel. We also know that Gilgal sits next to the river Jordan. Gilgal is a place on a flat piece of land. Gilgal was um, by the river Jordan, which means that it was low. It was almost like in a valley, a place that was flat. And on the other side of the Jordan, there were mountains. The mountains kind of came down into a valley where the river Jordan flows. And then the Israelite people were now on the other side of the river Jordan from those mountains. But then as you go from Gilgal, you then go back up the hills towards Jerusalem and then you would carry on west towards the Mediterranean Sea. And so Gilgal is a place where there was no town, there was no city. It was just a plot of land, a place where, as we remember from last week, 12 stones were set up, 12 stones that came from the middle of the Jordan River. Gilgal was a place where the Israelite people camped before they began their first conquest. In the passage we've just read, we read how the Israelite people, they were all called to be a part of circumcision. Circumcision was something that every Jew did up to the time of Jesus, where once the followers of Jesus um, began to follow Jesus, um, then Jesus said, you know, this is no longer required um, as a follower of Jesus. And some Jews would have continued to be circumcised, but um, coming now into uh, 2000 years later, um, uh, for us as followers of Jesus, we now normally don't practice circumcision, but at this time, it was a normal practice for the Jewish people to be circumcised. What strikes me, what I've been asking myself this week as I've studied this passage is, why wait till now? Why wait till now? Why uh, didn't God choose to see every young male be circumcised whilst in the desert? Why wait till now? Because right now they've crossed the Jordan. They don't need to um, spend seven days in pain as they uh, their fighting men would have had to recover from circumcision. Really, at this point, crossing over the river at the place of Gilgal, surely the fighting men of Israel, the tens of thousands of men that would be needed to conquer Jericho. Surely these men would need to be strong. They would need to have all their energy and strength in order to conquer the land. Why did God choose right now? He had 40 years in the desert in order for those people to be circumcised. 40 years in the desert, wandering around where they could have done circumcision. And yet, as they crossed over, it was 
in front of the city of Jericho. Jericho was not far from Gilgal. In fact, Jericho was an imposing city. Jericho was a city surrounded by big walls. Jericho was not an easy place to defeat. Jericho would have been intimidating. Jericho would have been um, a huge uh, uh, kind of obstacle right in front of the Israelite people. Jericho was a city that was all shut down, closed up, ready for a siege. In fact, from what we understand, I can't see in the natural how the Israelite people were going to defeat the city of Jericho. It was going to take a miracle from God. But yet, if you think about this, Jericho was a city full of uh, people that were trained in war. Jericho was a city where you would not want to mess with. And yet, in front, not far away of Jericho, the Israelite people gather. And what do they do? They circumcise every single soldier. Every single soldier is circumcised. That means that for seven days, the fighting men of Israel are weak and unable to fight. Bonkers, crazy, because that means that for seven days, the Jericho people could open up their uh, gates, their city gates, and their fighting men could rush to the Israelite people and potentially could have destroyed them. If I was the Israelite people, I would not have been rejoicing during circumcision. I would have been terrified thinking, oh my word, we have just uh, basically got all of our fighting men and said for seven days, you're going to be in pain and out of action. And we're doing this in front of a huge walled city full of soldiers that could come out and kill us all. In fact, we know that already in the Bible, there's a story of how the Israelite, um, two, a couple of Israelites um, basically uh, asked the, earlier in the Bible, asked the uh, a town to all get circumcised. And they tricked that town because the minute that town all got circumcised, um, these brothers went and killed all those people who were circumcised because once you're circumcised, you can't fight, you're in pain and you are weak. And so why, having known this, the Israelite people would have known this, why would they circumcise themselves in front of the city of Jericho? I believe that the reason God got them to do this is because he was saying that the way that you are going to defeat the people in the land of Canaan, the way that you're going to see victory is by simple obedience and trust in me alone. God was saying, I know you've got a big army. I know you've got tens of thousands of fighting men. But is your trust in your strength? Is your trust in your army? Or is your trust in obedience to me? Is your trust in what I ask you to do? Is your... Uh, ability to trust me greater than your own army and the strength of that army and so I think it's a beautiful picture of a whole nation saying we would rather place our trust in God alone than in the strength of our army 
as the Israelites were men were all circumcised, they would have felt vulnerable, they would have felt open to attack, and their vulnerability was only because of obedience. Their vulnerability was only because of obedience. You know, one thing that I've learnt about being obedient is that it makes you vulnerable. It makes you vulnerable. Vulnerable to what people think of you. Vulnerable to um, the reality of being weak in the eyes of others. And yet, when we are obedient, when we actually make ourselves vulnerable and we look weak in the eyes of others, it's in that place that we establish who our strength is in, that it's in God alone. And in a lot of ways, it then takes the pressure off us because we now know that actually if we're going to defeat Jericho and every other obstacle in our way, that's only going to happen by us being obedient to God and the pressure is off us and it being about my strength and the strength of how strong I am and the people around me and how strong we are. The pressure is now on God and uh, his strength and as we're obedient to him and as we follow him we are going to see cities transformed by the power of Jesus and so if you feel weak if being obedient to God has left you feeling vulnerable, then maybe you are in the best place you can be because now you're going to have to rely on God's strength. And that is his desire for you because it's in his strength that we win cities, transform nations, um, see breakthroughs and overcome obstacles. Circumcision. Circumcision is a way that we make a choice to say that we don't trust in the flesh. Circumcision of the flesh is about saying we are not relying on the flesh, we are relying on the spirit, we are relying on God's presence, we are relying on God's voice. And for the Israelite people as a nation, I believe it was uh, a mark that they were, uh, it was a line they were drawing in the sand. They were saying, we are not relying on our flesh. We are not relying on our own strength, but we are relying on God's presence. We are relying on God's voice. Um, and I think that it's really important that we don't rely on the flesh, but that we are willing to trust in God's strength. You know, um, one of the things that strikes me about the Israelite people crossing over into the promised land. And then the first thing that happens is that all of the fighting men were in pain. What strikes me about that is that for those seven days, it's not just that those men were in pain, but it's that those men were then having support and comfort and um, they were having wives and children that would have been involved in the process of pain and healing. And it would have meant that the whole nation together would have gone through that period of suffering. And together as a nation, 
they'd have, after seven year, days of, or 10 days, or however long it would have taken to recover from circumcision, I believe that that whole nation would have had this incredible understanding that the land, the promised land, the land that they were about to inherit was fundamentally not about comfort, but it would be through suffering that they would grow into the promised land. In the Bible, we are told that God disciplines those he loves. We are told that a father, in Hebrews, God talks about himself as a father, a father disciplines and sometimes discipline will mean suffering. We're told to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And this is something that we often don't like to talk about. And for us as Western Christians, and I know for myself, um, if, I, if I'm not careful, I can think of the promised land as a place of comfort. I can think, well, the promised land is when I'm comfortable, when I have enough money and I have all the comforts around me so that I am happy and prosperous and a life of comfort often is in the Western Christian thinking, a life of comfort is seen as a life in the promised land. And yet here, it's like God is saying the opposite. God is setting the scene. God is uh, at the beginning, the genesis of the Israelites and their experience of the promised land. God is causing them to suffer. And God is saying this land isn't about comfort, this land is about a place where you can mature. Maturity is God's goal when we enter into all that he's got for us. The, the point of the promised land was fruitfulness. The point of you and the transition God is taking you through into the promised land that God has for you, the point is not comfort, the point is maturity. God's will for your life is that you are fruitful. God's will for your life is that you are changed, that you are molded and shaped as a potter who has clay on a wheel. God wants to change you and he wants to grow you and he wants to mold you in order that you live and love like Jesus. And the point of your life is not that you're comfortable. The point of your life is that you are a vessel for God's glory. The point of the people as they entered into the promised land was that they would be a people that would mature and grow into a people filled and uh, fueled and by God's love and that they would uh, be a people that would represent heaven on earth. I um, think that we need to um, stop looking for comfort and following the path of comfort but we need to realise that if we are serious about stepping into the land of fruitfulness that God has for us, if we are serious about ending our life and hearing the words of Jesus that says, well done my good and faithful servant, if we are serious about ending our life and knowing that our life was uh, a life of fruitfulness where we fulfilled God's will for our life. If we're serious about Jesus and 
seeing disciples made, then we need to realise that the first thing we are called to do when we cross over from the desert into the promised land is realise that the promised land, which is fruitfulness, if we're going to truly inhabit a land of fruitfulness, then the first thing that we will need to do is to lay down our life to be willing to die to the flesh we will need to pick up our cross and realize that this life in the promised land is a life of uh, hard work discipline and that there will be suffering the promised land is a land that is a place that god has for you and I know that for the Israelite people, they would have all been aware the moment they stepped into the promised land that together we are suffering through circumcision. And therefore, they would have realised, hold on, we're going to have to really fight. We're going to have to realise that this isn't just about comfort. We are going to be in for uh, a life now of discipline and war and a life of laying down what we want in order for what God wants and being obedient to him. Um, You know, uh, I just want to finish by talking about why uh, did God ask all the Israelite men to be circumcised at the same time? It's not just that God got them all to be circumcised in the promised land, helping them to realise that the promised land wasn't about comfort, but was about um, a place of maturity through discipline and obedience. But we also see that they did it together. They all were circumcised at the same time. You know, um, for me, I believe that as I placed myself in the shoes of one of those soldiers, those fighting men, And this week I've been just thinking about what it would be like to be suffering, maybe in my tent, maybe with my wife and children, um, tending to my needs as I would be in physical pain. And I'm feeling weakened and I'm recovering from circumcision. I'd be aware of one thing, and that's the idea that I would not be suffering alone right next door in the tent would be bob and then over in the tent to my right would be benjamin and then in the tent behind me would be bartholomew and then in the tent in front of me would be uh uh, david and all of us would be suffering together you know i find that there is comfort in knowing that we are not called to suffer alone. Very often um, we can find that it's overwhelming to fast. We can find that we don't have the desire to do it and we feel alone and we think, well, it's just me and I'm in my kitchen and who's going to notice if I just eat some cornflakes? But when we know, when we sense, when we're aware that we don't live a life of discipline alone when we realize that jesus has called all of us as the body of christ he has called all of us to pick up our cross and follow him he has called all of us to suffer for christ when we are all together 
picking up our cross and saying no to the things of this world, when we're saying no um, to uh, the things that we used to say yes to, when we realise that there are others around us who are in pain, suffering, saying no to their flesh and yes to Jesus, then that idea that I am not alone brings me strength and it brings me courage and it helps me as I am suffering. And, you know, I think one of the uh, kind of ways in which the enemy stops us from suffering and invites us into a life of comfort is when he makes us think that we're alone. But when we choose to connect with other people that together are saying no to the flesh, then we will find a strength and a resolve in us to continue to be obedient to Jesus and to uh, suffer with him. Um, I, um, I, I think in our Western way of living, we have a great uh, battle. You know, if you are living in a house for recovering alcoholics or recovering drug addicts, and you are living in a place of structure where there is no TV, where you're up at 5am praying and your life is really structured. If you're living in a monastery and you are a monk where you have a, a, a life of discipline where it's a, a daily process of fasting and prayer. If you are living in places like that, to be honest with you, it's actually pretty easy to live in community with other people who together are saying no to the flesh and yes to Jesus. And you grow so quickly and mature so much when we live uh, in places like that. But, you know, the question is, how do we live in the world and be not of the world? How do we live in a world where there's Netflix and Disney Plus, where there's a PlayStation or an Xbox, where we have... Um, every type of takeaway available to us where we have all types of comfort immediately available. How do we live in a world where actually we realise that we're not legalistic and there's nothing wrong with Netflix and Disney Plus and uh, food that is um, lo lovely to eat and where there is so much around us like the cinema and bowling and all these things that um, are comfortable and enjoyable how do we find the balance how do we say no to the flesh how do we learn to say yes to Jesus pick up our cross and suffer in a world that has been designed for comfort and I think that this is something that uh, in the weeks and months and years to follow that we need to grapple with we need to wrestle with we need to pray and ask ourselves the hard questions and we need to be willing to say no to a life of comfort and yet at the same time if we're raising a family realize um, that actually you know there is nothing wrong with Netflix or Disney plus we don't want to live in a monastery and yet at the same time we are called to 
fast and pray and say no um, very often to TV in order to say yes to prayer? And, and, and how do we get that right balance? For me, um, the, the, the answer is not simple. The answer will change over time as you adapt and there may be seasons where you say no to Netflix in order to um, say yes to prayer. There may be times where you say yes to Netflix for the sake of your family and for the sake of quality time with your family. And so there will be a constant um, kind of uh, learning and praying. But what I've discovered is that God is interested in the wrestle. God is interested in the torment as you pray and you seek God as to what do you keep in this season and what do you get rid of and is this a time where you need to throw away all your DVDs or is this a time where you keep your DVDs for the sake of your family and quality time and learning to manage the good things he wants to give you. But God is interested in the wrestle. God is interested in you being willing to not give in to a life of comfort and excess, but in you realising that God wants you to live a fruitful life and that you are willing to be obedient. And if there are times where, like with the Israelites, he says, right now it's time to cut off that thing from your life, that you are willing to say, okay, in this season, I'm willing to cut off whatever it is I need to cut off in order that I am growing and that I'm willing to come under the discipline of my heavenly father because he wants to see me mature. God wants the wrestle. He doesn't want us to um, spend 10 years gliding in a life of comfort. He wants us to constantly be wrestling and saying, okay, God, I want to and be in the world but not of the world and if there's anything in my heart in my life in my home that is a stumbling block that is causing me to settle for a life of comfort then God help me do I need to give that up or give it away or do I need to keep it in order to learn to trust in you despite having Netflix in my home I believe God is after us um living a life where we're not willing to settle but that we're willing to um, wrestle uh, in order that we constantly are living in obedience to him so I'm not asking you to throw away everything that um, is in your house I'm asking all of us to always be in step with the spirit in obedience to him living according to what he asks of us. For 40 years, God didn't ask the Israelite men to be circumcised, but then there was a moment where he said, now it's time. And we're called to live in step, in obedience, um, by his voice as he leads us into a life of maturity. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you that your heart for all of us is that we wouldn't settle for a life of comfort but that we would realise that you are inviting us into a promised land, a place of fruitfulness and maturity. And Lord, I thank you that that promised land is a place where we will suffer, where we will have to say no to the comforts of this life. And Lord, we don't want to just throw things away and live like we're in a monastery 
if that's not what you're saying. God, we want to always be in step with you, always responding to um, your call for how we should live and what we should do and not do. And Lord, as we're obedient to you, as we realise that we're in a wrestle and that we are with our brothers and sisters who together have chosen not a life of comfort, but a life of surrender. Lord, I thank you that together as we embrace a life of discipline and fasting and prayer and Bible study and church and evangelism and a life of loving others. God, I thank you that we will live a life of faithful fruitfulness of love and service. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.